I wanted to, to um, share with you the fruit of my meditations these days where I have been very much uh, listening to past teachings that Lourdes has been giving, uh, pondering them and putting them on the website. And I'm just so profoundly amazed at what God has been giving us. And I realize that even though I have heard them many times actually, they are familiar to my memory, to my mind, and yet the depth of what is there still needs to develop. You understand? So this is, uh, see, this is, uh, I think, the same for all of us. We have heard it, but only the Holy Spirit can bring growth to the understanding of the depth of it. For example, um, this um, words that the Lord has given us as like our logos kind of is, uh, suffer all with me, no longer two but one in my sacrifice of love. That is so amazing. And I invite all of you to ponder it again and again. Our beloved is begging us, asking us, suffer all with me. And indeed, the, these words are the kernel of the whole path. Suffer all with me, no longer two, but one in my sacrifice of love. Do you realize those are words of a nuptial union between Christ and us? It's like a, a, a groom and a bride will say to each other, all mine is yours. All yours is mine completely, unreservedly. And today uh, we heard in the, in the, um, in the gospel, Jesus uh, telling us, as the Father has loved me, so I have, I love you. How could any of us ever even have a thought or a temptation <laughs> of thinking that we're not loved? You know, we, we are pierced by rejections, we are pierced by loneliness sometimes and all those things that they're true certainly but I think by pondering the words of Jesus this moments of rejection this moments of um, difficulties and storms that we go through are an opportunity to remember how much we're loved and as we make that step of faith to remember how much we are loved, we can receive this love from the Lord and we can, we can thank him and say, Lord, 
you love me so much. I want to pour out my life. And what can I pour out now? This rejection, this loneliness, this situation, suffer it with you. And this is a drama of love. Jesus suffered greatly, and now we suffer. And he's saying, come, let's join in this suffering. And it's in this suffering, as the path repeatedly tells us, that we achieve the depth of union. And the greatest happiness. And this is a great paradox that the world cannot understand. By joining in the sufferings of the Lord, we enter this amazing love. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. And this is Jesus speaking to us in what the church calls his last testament, the night before he died. Now, if someone of our family who we love greatly is dying in the hospital and they're making an effort to bequeath us with their last words, how much will we put attention to every word? Because we know this person is making the greatest effort and they know they're not going to be able to say anything else. And they're putting all their heart in giving us their last testament. Well, Jesus also gave us his last testament the night before that he died and then hanging on the cross. And we ponder these words and they're all about love. And a love that really a human mind cannot grasp on its own. That is why in John 16, which is part of this uh, last testament, Jesus tells the disciples, I still have many things to tell you, but you cannot understand them yet. Everything that Jesus said, the disciples only understood them in a very limited way before Pentecost. And then Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be given to you. And he will explain to you everything. And he will take all of mine and will give it to you. Can you imagine? Everything, all the treasures of the heart of Jesus. The Holy Spirit will give to us. You know what's the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit? The greatest gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. He, God, is giving himself to us to indwell in us, to make us living tabernacles. And we need to keep this in the center of our faith, our heart, 
as we go through anything, because then anything becomes an opportunity to give glory to God. And nothing gives glory more to God from our part. What I'm saying is the greatest glory we, we can give to God is to continue to believe and be one with him in trials. That's why Lourdes has told us so many times, trials contain an amazing blessing. If we discover it, we make it ours. So instead of complaining or thinking this is terrible, what is happening, seek for that precious pearl that is hidden in every trial. As we join everything with Jesus and we suffered with him, it becomes ours. And the riches of Christ, of his heart, become ours. That is why devotion to the sacred heart is not just a sentimental piety whereby we feel good or we um, want to ask for certain things that are of our interest. No. It's about receiving the fullness of Christ in us, all the treasures of his desires, of his love, of his way of being become ours by this amazing communion. And that's where the Lord wants to take us. In baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit, but don't think that that's it. We received an engrafting. We received like a seed. So let us spend the rest of our life opening up to the Holy Spirit so that the fullness of Christ may inhabit in us. Notice that the disciples received the Holy Spirit many times. Remember that they received it on the day of the resurrection. Jesus appeared to them, breathed on them, and gave them the Holy Spirit, and gave them the power to forgive sins. That was way before Pentecost. And then again, he would appear to them and bless them again and give them more of the Holy Spirit. And even after Pentecost, they continued to grow in this power of the Holy Spirit. Notice that before that, before the Holy Spirit came to them, they didn't understand anything. They didn't understand when Jesus told them to eat his body and drink his blood. They didn't understand his kingdom. What is this kingdom is all about? They didn't understand that it was him when he was walking on water. They didn't understand. They loved him, they followed him, but they were still lacking so much understanding. But you know what the good news is? We have received the baptism. We have been walking in the path. And what does the path do? I see the path as the kernel of the gospel. And what the path does is open the entire word of God for us. Why? 
because like the disciples, our, our minds are blocked because we have so many wounds, because we have so much brokenness. And as we go through the process of opening to self-knowledge, as God sees us, as we walk and we work out the path, what is happening? We're allowing the Lord to fill us with the Holy Spirit. So the path to union with God is also the path of openness to receive the Holy Spirit. That is why in our charism, we are praying for a new Pentecost. And we are praying for a new Pentecost. First, we want it for ourselves. I want to be more and more filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be more and more on fire. Jesus says, I came to bring fire on the earth, and I wish it was already uh, burning. Don't you want to be more and more burning with the fire of the Holy Spirit? It has begun, yes. I believe everyone in the community has the Holy Spirit, but the good news is there is more and more and more. So we have something more and more to look forward to, to be more filled with the Holy Spirit, to be more on fire. And we look at, at St. Paul. We having him right on all these days in the Acts of the Apostles as we go to Mass and Peter. And, and, and we see how they are growing. For example, in the first reading today of the Acts of the Apostles, they are discovering in the Holy Spirit that the pagans can be disciples of Christ. And when they come together to deliberate about this, they have a lot of opposition. Because for Jews to accept pagans among them was despicable. It was not a natural tendency at all. Their ways were so different. But the Holy Spirit overcame that. How? By the powerful witness of the Holy Spirit, first to Peter, remember, when he saw that mantle coming down from heaven and said, take and eat. Oh, no, I cannot eat all those things. They are unclean. And the Lord kept on uh, repeating that. And that led for him to go to the house of Cornelius and, and see the work of the Holy Spirit in action. And he had only to accept what is going on, that it was not his own doing. So then it happened to St. Paul. And St. Paul saw the power of the Holy Spirit coming on, onto the, the pagans, and they realized what God is doing. So you see how it works? It's not that the church gathers and has a majority opinion and then says, okay, we're going to let them in because the majority says so. No, it's not by democracy. It is by witnessing the work of the Holy Spirit and so that's why theology is a, is, a, is a science, because it's not based on men coming together and uh, deciding things according to what they think might work better. 
The whole science of, of theology is about analyzing the truth that God has done. And like St. Thomas Aquinas says, you have to do theology on your knees, open to the Holy Spirit to discover more and more. So we're doing the same thing. Every one of us does theology when we get on our knees and we say, Spirit, what are you teaching us? And then we, we receive all this, suffer all with me, no longer two but one in my sacrifice of love, and all the teachings of the past. And all the teachings, you know, when we were in Mexico again, I was amazed at the power, the anointing coming forth when the path is taught to theologians, to doctors in the church, and see their freedom, the transformation that it brings. And it's the fulfillment of what Jesus says in this last testament in the Gospel of John, that he's it's, it's good that I go, he says, because I will give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will teach you everything. And why is Jesus saying all this? He says, so that you share in my happiness. We have to be witnesses of the joy, the happiness of the Lord. That is why St. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. There's nothing more amazing than to see Christians going through trials. And it doesn't mean that they're laughing at it. Some things can be very dramatic, but there is an inner joy, an inner peace that is so real. It comes to mind, I was devout, devoted to uh, Frank Jagerstatter, who was a young Austrian just uh, had been married for a few years and had two beautiful daughters. When Hitler annexed Austria and all the men were conscripted into the Nazi army, he could not do that because his conscience will not let him. The Holy Spirit says no. And uh, well, long story short, he was condemned to death. The night before the execution, a priest was able to go see him and this priest testified, I have never witnessed someone with such great Peace. Frank Jagerstatter was deeply uh, pierced with sorrow, leaving his wife and his two little girls who had tried and pleaded for him to, to yield uh, to the Nazis and to enter the army. And he had to say to them, just like Thomas More in England, no. I will be the king's faithful sermon, but God first. And he suffered all with Jesus. No longer two, but one in his sacrifice of love. And yet the peace and the joy 
the assurance of the Lord, which is supernatural, was with him. And this is what we are preparing for. This is what the path is preparing us for. Is preparing us for any trials, any difficulties to live them with the Lord and be able to do what St. Paul did. Is it not amazing that St. Paul, um, we're seeing him every day, the battles that he's going through, he is being persecuted to death. He was stoned to death. You imagine people throwing stones at you or somebody that you love and leaving them for dead and a pool of blood unconscious on the ground. When they all leave, St. Paul gets up. They have dragged him out of the city. He gets back up and he goes back into the city and continues to preach. If that is not supernatural, if that's not the power of God, but did God spare Paul or any of the others from difficulties, from suffering, from trials. Peter and Paul, they died martyrs. But the power of God never left them. And they were able to fulfill their mission. And that's what the Lord is calling us uh, to do now. We say in, in theology that the Holy Spirit has like two, there are two times in the Holy Spirit or two periods, let's say. One is the historical objective revelation. What does that mean? Well, Jesus fulfilled all revelation and he died and he rose and ascended into heaven. And the revelation is fulfilled in Christ. We cannot add anything else to Revelation. However, there's now another time of the Holy Spirit in which the Holy Spirit is unpacking, as to say, opening up that Revelation and making it more and more clear to us. The Holy Spirit is making it subjective into us. In other words, what happened, now we're coming to a greater and greater understanding in these times by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're talking about a new and divine holiness. You want me to give you an example of that? Mercy. Mercy is all over the, the Bible. But in the 20th century, the Lord chose St. Faustina. And through her, she spoke to us about the depth of his mercy in such an amazing way. It doesn't add to revelation, but it deepens our understanding of what revelation meant when speaking about mercy. And that's why we should not shun private revelation, especially when it has been accepted by the church and confirmed so much. And that's what we get in San Fastina. If you want to be 
the holy priest and you look at um, Padre Pio, we have a lot to learn about the sacrifice of the mass, the way he lived it. He lived it as a true victim soul. Is that something new? Well, it's already in divine revelation, but he brings it to life in such a way that the Holy Spirit can convict us of what is the sacrifice of the mass. And the same thing with the path. The Lord is bringing us to a new awareness, to a new and deeper way of grasping truths that, yes, they were already there, but the Holy Spirit is being fulfilled as Jesus promised. He will guide you to the fullness of truth. John 16. You read John 16, uh, 12 to 15. He will take what is mine and give it to you. It's amazing. And so we're so blessed to be living in these times where we have all this development of doctrine, all this deepening of the doctrine, the truths. When Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will guide us to all truth, in the Gospel of John, truth is Jesus. Truth is Jesus. So it's like saying the Holy Spirit will guide you to all that I am, all of my heart will burst my heart open to you so that you have full understanding of who I am. And for this, it is good that I go so that the Holy Spirit may come. Do you remember a couple of days ago, we had uh, Philip, no, it was uh, uh, Judas, not the Iscariot, the other Judas, the apostle, and he asks Jesus, why don't you reveal yourself to everybody, not just to us? I can see the, the meaning of that question. Wouldn't that make things a lot easier? If we have to go and preach and, and we can bring Jesus along and he just radiates light like in the transfiguration and shows his fierce hands, I mean, we wouldn't have to preach too much. I mean, Jesus is there. Wouldn't that make things easier? And when, when Paul had to go to Athens and tell him, I see that you have here a, um, a shrine to the unknown God. I won't tell you about the unknown God. Well, if you could bring Jesus and say, look, he, he died and resurrected. He's God. But no. Jesus is nowhere to be seen in his historical body of the past. He's risen and gone to heaven. Why did he do that? Because he wanted each one of us to become him. We are all living tabernacles. Jesus promised 
that he would be with us until the end of time. And that as we yield to the Holy Spirit, we are not just going to acquire data, concepts, truths, ideas that are in the mind. We will be transformed into him and be able to witness through a transformed mind, a transformed heart. The Lord doesn't want to force people to believe. The Lord wants people to believe by opening their hearts to his presence, hidden but real and powerful in the life of the believers. That is why, and that's how we're here, because somebody witnessed to us and the Holy Spirit convicted us of the truth. Now, if Jesus was limited to a bodily presence, he would have to be sitting like what, in the Vatican? Can you imagine the lines? If today to get to St. Peter's is almost impossible, you have to wait hours and hours just to see the temple. Imagine if Jesus was there in his sitting on a throne, and then if you did got in, how long do you think you could spend with him? Two seconds? Not even that? But all the multitudes wanting to go and see him. So what does he do? He makes it so easy for us. He stays in every tabernacle truly present. But he asks of us a step in faith. Because we cannot see him with our carnal eyes. We need a step in faith. And that way, we, through that step in faith, are transformed. Remember how the Pharisees... After seeing all the miracles, they still didn't believe. And then they said, if you do this miracle for us, then we will believe. They didn't want to accept the miracles that Jesus had done. They wanted one in their way. And the Lord will not go for that. He will not accept when people want to force him to overwhelm them with his presence. In other words, he wants us to be humble because even thunder and lightning and earthquakes will not bring us into the presence of God only through humility only as we lower ourselves can our minds begin to receive the glory of God. So having a Jesus transfigured, walking around the world, it will scare a lot of people. It will amaze a lot of people. But that's not what God wants. And the only way to come into a relationship with Jesus is by undoing the work of Satan, which is pride. Pride. And so that's why Jesus is humble. 
And that's why Jesus is in the Blessed Sacrament. And Jesus is in the little ones. And his presence is powerful and amazing. And those who humble down and those who seek him with a pure heart will find him. And those who don't, no matter what he does, will never believe. And so we are in this period of the Holy Spirit where objective revelation is fulfilled in Christ. But now it is deepening in its awareness in us. We had mercy already in the Bible, but now mercy is becoming more and more a reality that we understand, that we live, that we participate. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And June 9, not this Sunday, but the next, right? We will be celebrating Pentecost. So I invite you to anticipate, to say, come Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with your fire. I already love you, Lord. I already know you. I already want to lay down my life for you. But Peter said the same thing. And then betrayed him. And I know I'm weak. I know that I need you. So come more and more to my life. Come and fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. So I wanted to, to share this as I was uh, preparing for, for, the, um, for the priests in, in, um, in Colombia. Um, they asked me to speak to them about the priest as a tabernacle of the Lord. And I saw right away how that fits so well into the path. And I'm going to spend most of the time um, speaking about the ways that we can limit the real presence of Christ in us and how we need to go through self-knowledge and how we need to go through repentance and how we uh, need uh, to turn to the Lord in a deeper way so that we really become what God desires us to be because we have become what we're not, right? And the Lord wants us to be who he meant us to be from the beginning, and that is truly to be living tabernacles. And that also goes for us. Uh, the Lord is just building us up. And uh, I, I invite you to keep in mind that as the disciples had to grow in certitude and clarity, so do we by constantly going to the word, by constantly pondering what he has told us in the path. Don't think that because you have familiarity with it in your mind, you got it. It's a process of transformation that becomes more and more. Lourdes herself says, has told me many times, I read now things that the Lord gave me a, a couple years ago, and I am amazed. It's like a new, a new word. It's, an, it's a new understanding and deeper understanding. See, so we're so blessed, you know, and I, I'm just 
so amazed at what God is doing. When I see all of you, and I think some have been with us for years now, and uh, I see everything changing in the world, and people are here and then gone, and and there has been so many of you who have persevered through years. And we are distant, some in Colombia, some in Europe, uh, we're spread throughout the United States, and yet God has given us the perseverance to come every Thursday. We all have things to do, right? But we have made this priority to come together, to be rekindled in the fire, to go back, to ponder these things, to be energized again by the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing what God does when we come together? It's like, um, it's like um, a receiving a, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit again to continue to, to live the path, to live this way. So we have to really um, be very grateful. And um, I just uh, pray for, for me, please, uh, because uh, uh, giving a retreat to priests and giving it in two different cities, uh, it's mind-boggling to me. I, I, I just go and say, Lord, if you don't, if you don't show up, I'm done. I'm fried. <laughs> so it's not going to be by human energy. It's not going to be by my wits and my logic. It's the hidden force. All of you are praying for this, uh, this little one who God's sense of humor because he knows how inept I am to do this completely, honestly. But the Lord wanted to do it this way so that the glory be his and only his. Amen.